Welcome to Tools for Liberty, a program provided through Kingdom of the Logos. This is a program designed to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, and to offer your mind critical thinking and adventure. I'm Jay Dylan Proctor. I'm Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Allegria. And today we're going to be having some fun discussing some some movies, actually. We're going to take a theological perspective of the top grossing movies in the year 2017. It is early 2018 right now. And we're going to look at these movies, and maybe you've seen some of these, maybe you haven't. We're going to just offer some insight we've had to and some themes we thought that were actually pretty good from that. Um, so let's jump straight into it, shall we? Um, so this is a list provided by, if I can get the name right, um, boxofficemojo.com. And these are the top grossing films of 2017. And we'll start at number 10, and, and y'all can tell me if y'all have seen these or not. All right, so let's begin in number 10, Justice League. I've seen it. The first one? Well, there's this only one 10. Justice League. Okay, this, yeah, I've seen yeah. that. <laughs> All right, so Despicable Me 3. Nah. And fun nope. fact. I did um, one too, though. Yeah. <laughs> Evidently, Despicable Me has been the most successful franchise for Universal Studios outside of Jurassic Park. So evidently that one's been the, the cash bringer for them. All right, number eight comes in at Jumanji. Welcome to the Jungle. Seen it. And I really wanted to see that I haven't film. seen it, but I'm open it's to it. It's still in theaters. We could, we could go see it later. I, I actually have not been to see that. I didn't even know it had come out yet. I, I like most of the cast in that. Um, <laughs> number seven, Thor Ragnarok. Seen it. Haven't seen it. Have Would want to it. see it, though. All right, and coming in at number six, It. Seen it. <laughs> Stephen King's It. Of course, that is seen Pennywise that the Clown. Um, number five, Spider-Man Homecoming. Seen it. Seen it. Um, I have not seen it. I should clarify that language have there. Have not seen it. Have not seen it? Yeah. And I really nice. like the Spider-Man villains. I like the Spider-Man villains much more than Spider-Man. Um, You'd I, really like Homecoming, then. But I, I have this thing where I really don't like uh, superhero movies where there's a big overlap between like the characters. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I'll eventually <laughs> see it. Um, Guardian the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 comes in at number four. Seen that it. one was good. It was good. All right, and at number three, Wonder Woman. Seen it. Seen and it. number two, and I feel like this has been out a really long time ago. This must have come out in early 2017. Mm-hmm. Is Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I think it came around Valentine's. Did it? I've seen it. It's good. And I didn't see that, but I would be open to it. It's on Netflix. Is it? I, I have not seen it. Someone I don't know that I've ever consciously me, viewed the <laughs> cartoon Beauty and the Beast. I think that's one where I just sort of shut down into like a state of shock when it comes on. Um <laughs> Star Wars, The Last Jedi, number one. Seen it. All right. I don't know. I don't think I have. <laughs> you would know. I, I, I fell asleep during one of them. It was like Rogue One or it was that one. Oh, my gosh. So we, oh, no. We're going to be doing a lot of things today, which will probably make us unemployable and hated <laughs> by everyone. Um, I know we're going to talk about theology and movies, and I'm sure after this video is finished recording, the different people from the church board will be waiting outside our studio here with a, a nice letter saying that I am terminated. Um, <laughs> pitchforks and torches. Pitchforks, yes. We will never be employable after this. Um, well, and I think to that end, as we talk about these movies, we in no way endorsing everything that happens in these films, and um, each person has their own opinions on what they want to, uh, what makes a movie watchable, so use your own discretion in that sense, and uh, so we're we're not saying obviously some of these movies have some pretty weird and bad things in them. So we're not by saying we've seen them doesn't mean we necessarily endorse everything in them. Just a little disclaimer there. And a further disclaimer because we're about to talk about two of these movies and the theology in them. Um, there there are spoilers coming for the movie It and Wonder Woman. So if you do not want to have any spoilers for It or Wonder Woman, 
tune out now. And we thank you for your viewership. And come back and watch the the next segment we'll be recording today. Come back and, and listen to the history of St. Agnes and St. Sebastian in our, our devotion as well. So do come back, but if you don't want spoilers, there's your cue. You've had enough time. Um, so I want to talk about theology in two movies today. And I realize this may be a bit bizarre for somebody in clergy college to be talking about Stephen King's It and theology, but there's something that happened really really well written into the the story of that, and it was conveyed well in the the film as well, and it wasn't the original ending that Stephen King did. I, I That's a whole other problem. I'm really glad that it didn't make it to the film, but aside from that, let's talk about the movie a little bit. Um, so, one of the things that I, I think was really great about the movie It is it did something that we really don't see happening a lot in our culture, and that was a really good balance of individual transformation and involvement in a larger body. In other words, we, we live in this world where, and even within the church, a lot of people, they, they teach and preach against individualism so much that our culture is really fragmented off into a lot of different tribes, whether it be people based on their, their ideas, their ideology, their worldview, race, sex, whatever creed it has. People are, are extraordinarily tribal, and they're in, just collectivized into this terrible groupthink um, things like genocide usually come as a, a result of, of taking collectivism to an extreme. However, there have been times in history where individualism has been taking to extremes, and we get people who are beating up on individualism, which really they're trying to beat up on selfishness, but it's been all muddled and whatnot. But in reality, there needs to be a healthy balance of the individual and their role in the collective. There needs to be some sort of balance between there. And I thought it does a really good job of, of actually telling a story where each of the, the members of the group has to undergo some sort of individual transformation in order for the group to work together effectively. And I think that's something that the, the church can really take away from this story. If, if you ever thought there was going to be a, a pastor saying the church can take something away from the movie <laughs> It, um, bring the pitchforks now. <laughs> bring them. Bring the, the fires. Um, I will accept my, my fate for the things I have said. But um, that was really good. I thought that was good. And each of the characters, whether it be uh, they, they see things like the, the hands coming out that are on fire. There's, of course, Will loses his, his brother Georgie. Each one of them has suffering in their life. Some, they may have done something to, to start the suffering. It could be something family-related. It could be something just sort of out there in the ether. There's suffering that's unique to each of the kids in the story of It. And... Each kid has to work out their own suffering. Again, this is not some suffering from the past. Someone else is suffering. They work out the real problems in their life. They come to some sort of terms with it. And through that, they have the ability to work together as a group to stop this sort of cosmic being, which is Pennywise the Clown. And I think that's a really awesome narrative to happen in our story. And our world really needs to see more examples. And I know this is a story. It's an anecdotal thing. But we need to see more examples of the individual's taking ownership of the things in their life, working through them, and then being effective as, as a society, as a, as a group. So what are y'all's thoughts on that, the rest of us here, Amanda and, and Anthony? <laughs> well, I think like to go off what you're saying also is when the group, after they've, even as they're going through these individual trials, they're also helping each other out. Um, but yeah, they, they've become more effective in defeating this villain as, the, as they've continued to grow. I think what's fascinating about it, and then also just kind of the horror movie genre in general, is this um, this affinity we have for fear. Um, some people don't like to watch horror movies, but some people enjoy it, the kind of edge on your seat, the 
the being afraid. We're attracted to that for some reason. And I think that's because it's almost, it, we can be afraid in that sense because we know it's fiction, right? We know it's fake. It, it's not going to come out of our TV screen. Um, so we can be fra- afraid in a safe place. But maybe all good art should challenge us, I think. And so maybe by watching a horror movie like it and we see these people facing their fears, right, and growing from that, maybe it might just inspire us to do that with our real lives and not just watching it and keeping it on the TV screen. So that's kind of my thought on it. (laughs) Yeah. Anthony, I know you went to see it because I I took you to the movies (laughs) to see this. Um, What are your thoughts on it? Did you Um, have any overarching theological theme you've seen emerge out of the story of it i didn't have anything that was um too novel but you know to add to y'all's point i do like that they that they had the individual characters unite against their fear to go confront it you know and it wasn't just like an individual confronting their fear or an individual being saved by other people uniting to help them it was each individual who had to overcome their fear together yeah you know and I think that that's important to remember. There's a huge balance there that you just don't see happening much in our society. And again, we've been talking a lot about dualism. If you, you follow our content, we have an excellent episode one of the, the clergy cops and in um, probably not so excellent um, Bob Ross parody that's out there as well where we talk about polytheism and dualism. Um, but there's one of the, the heresies in the world is dualism where you, you have two sort of separate things that don't really match up with one another, but people believe them. One of the, the ways that dualism manifests in our culture a lot is people are like, well, we, we have the success of the group, we have utopia, and we have the rewards of individual transformation without ever having their individual transformation. If we can get to the group together, we can reap the individual rewards without ever having that. So you've got two different things going on. Um, you have the results of transformation without actually going through the process of transformation. I thought it does such a, a wonderful way of, of how each kid, and again, it is a horror movie. It's not a... a, a it's not a family fun film. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing. Why are people taking their kids to see this? My, my mother is a, a fourth grade teacher, and she's been like, all the kids are dressing up as Pennywise, and they, they talk about Pennywise. Um, fourth graders should not be seeing Pennywise the Clown. Um, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> but the good thing from the story is that healthy balance of we're actually going to overcome the sufferings in our life that are real, not that somebody is put on us because they've conflated the difference between the group and the individual. Real suffering, overcoming that, and and now we can function together. Really, in the kingdom of God, Christ, he comes to transform people. G- Gospel of John chapter 3, a lot of people point there to talk about being born again. Um, Nicodemus is not addressed as a, a Pharisee. He doesn't take the guilt of other people. He has that individual transformation, and then he goes on to function in a, a role that is is discipleship. He, he takes on the role of being an, an effective uh, follower of Christ. It's even there when Christ is on the cross, him and Joseph of Arimathea in the Gospel of John, they come to bury Jesus. So that is something our society needs to be talking about. Individual transformation, real transformation, and then the group working together. Okay, so the next film I would like for us to talk about, if we're all good on it. Mm-hmm. All, right, all right. So let's talk about Wonder Woman a bit. Um, I like superhero movies. I like the the culture that comes around superhero movies. Um, and to be honest, some of them that have come out recently, the writing has been hit or miss. Some of them have been good, some have not. Wonder Woman, I was blown away with the the story that is so different from what our culture, it was so different from what our pop culture is teaching. And there was something so theologically correct about the morality and idolatry and polytheism that is conveyed 
in the story of Wonder Woman. Um, so basically, if you're not familiar with Wonder Woman or you've seen the movie, you know Diana is, we've discussed this, she's kind of a god, but not really. Mm -hmm. She's not really a demigod, but she's something. But you also have the character Ares, who is the main antagonist in the film. And throughout the film, Diana, who is Wonder Woman, thinks that if we can just kill Ares, that people will, will quit being evil, that war will stop because people are, are naturally good. This is something we find all throughout our society. There are a large amount of our population who believe people are naturally good. It's the environment. If, if people would just accept people for who they are, they would cease doing bad things. This is not true. Um, this is one of the great lessons we have even from some of the ancient stories in Christianity, even if we look back to the to the early stories and moral stories out of Genesis, there's this idea that people may not actually be good left to their own resources, and Diana has to learn this. Um, but to get to the to the heart of what I, I took away from Wonder Woman is this this lesson that you need a universal standard of morality in order to really address the issues in the world. You can't have a understanding of evil that says people are evil because of Aries. People are evil because Someone did this to them. Um, sure, environment has a big influence, even in the story. Uh, Dr. Death, I believe is her name, is, is given a formula by Ares. He, he suggests something to her. Things in the world can definitely suggest things to people, but people actually have real responsibility in their in the life. Um, just killing the source of evil doesn't make evil stop because perhaps the source of evil is not always outside. Um, so comparing that to, to the worldview of Christianity, the triune God is not polytheistic. Um, no matter what people say, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have a single unified morality. They have one will, one morality. In Wonder Woman, it's very clear. Wonder Woman, godlike character, and Ares, they do not have the same will. They do not have the same morality. But when you are monotheistic, when you believe in the triune God, you have a, a single universal morality to view the world with, and you're not torn between all of these different things. You're not in a place of cognitive dissonance, trying to figure out how to behave in reality, you can follow one single unified morality. So what are your, you all, what are you all thinking about Wonder Woman? Amanda? Well, I think to expand on what you're talking about, like this, this idea, uh, you see the character arc uh, Diana goes through, she's trying to, she comes from Themyscira thinking that she's going to go into this war, right, and defeat Ares, and this war is happening because of Ares. And if we also look into the setting of it, it's taking place in World War One, also known as the Great War, the war to end all wars, right? So it, it hints on something that was actually happening to, to real human beings in our own history at that time who were thinking, this is it. You know, they weren't thinking Ares or mythical creatures, obviously, but they were thinking... We can, we can have this war, we can fight it out, and then everyone will be at peace. You know, there's almost this hope for this utopian, um, you know, post-apocalyptic, uh, heaven-coming-down kind of thing, thinking. And we can just finally end all of world strife, we can get everyone settled if we just fight this out. And obviously, as we know from our history, that doesn't happen. We get World War II, and then we get a whole list of other wars that have happened and are continuing happening, and they're the consequences of all, all this. And I think sometimes we can very much see ourselves in, in the person, the character of Diana, thinking we just fight this one person and everything's going to be okay. And, and theologically, if we, we just defeat the devil, then everything's going to be okay. And maybe there might be a tad bit of truth in that. Like there are evil people who do need to be stopped. 
But ultimately, we have this responsibility for ourselves and for our communities to choose to do what is right. We can't blame it on Aries. We can't blame it on Satan. Can't blame it on who's president or not president, who the world powers are. This, th- these become influences in our world, like you said, but not ultimately the de- deciding factor. And I think this is just a great movie that reminds us that all of us have this choice. And because of that choice, we become responsible for then for the outcomes and consequences. So yeah, it was it was a completely fun movie, but also I think some some great points in it. Anthony, um, I liked a couple things about it. One for sure was that um, going back to the individual, which Dylan pointed out, but I like the way that um, you pointed out too, Amanda, that it's not just. Well, Dylan said he was making reference to the environment, and I like that a lot. And I also like what you said as well, the 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 anti-dualism about it as well. You know, that it's not going to be the devil's fault or Aries' fault. I like that connection, and I was going to make that myself, but you stole Sorry. it from me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the other thing I like about it a lot is the lesson about Wonder Woman's naivety. That <clears throat> I really hope that people can identify with that as other people who tend to blame the environment more than the individual, which the environment does play a significant role, but again, we're also all individuals, you know, and we make our own personal decisions. And I think that's more important to focus on, primarily at least for the individual. You know, you can only do so much to change your environment, but you can do infinitesimally more to change yourself. So Yeah. And and to your point, when Diana, she's from an island, she's closed off from the world, and she's never been exposed to this, so it's it's not unrational for her to believe that if I, I kill Ares, everybody will quit being you. And she tells people this. But when she goes out and does that, that naivety, there's the whole crux when she, she thinks she's killed Ares, but people are still evil, where she has that moment of realization that there's something more to the world than just a bad environment with bad players involved in it. And there's that moment where she struggles and tries to sort out what role do we have personally in this? Do I have any meaning anymore after this? There's an existential crisis that happens there. Um, for those who are the diehard Nazarenes, there's that second worst of grace <laughs> moment where we say, well, what do we do? Um, and that moment where you say, well, we're going to execute this. We're going to follow through. And to the and that's really where the personal responsibility and morality comes out of that story. Um, even with the, the guy, um, Trevor, I think is his name, mm-hmm. when he kills himself, um, you're watching that and you're like, man, they've got to go the extra mile. This guy's got to blow himself up. You're watching this and you're like, this guy's awesome. You know, he's, he's a good-looking dude. He's got everything going on for him. He's he's great friends with Wonder Woman. This guy's, like, a perfect character. And you're like, but, bro, you got to blow yourself up. You've got to follow through. You've got to execute and have that personal responsibility to say, we're going to do what we can do to stop evil. And and Diana has that realization as well, and it's just excellent. It's an excellent movie. Um, I loved it. I, I really came into it being like this is going to be another superhero movie but the the moral story that was conveyed in that was just fantastic i thought it was awesome Um, i'm happy that he handled it like a man but at the same time i was sitting there hoping that he'd make it out all right somehow that maybe wonder woman would like jump up there i was watching that i was like i was hoping something would happen but he was a really cool character i liked him yeah he was cool and a lot of people gave him flack i was like bro you gotta blow yourself up (laughs) i was like i really want this guy to live but you gotta you gotta do this um and that's that. Um, I did have one beef with each of those movies. Um, just and you may the one thing I really thought that took away from it was the. I'm glad they didn't sexualize the children as the book does. I think that was a very good choice. Um, but also, I didn't like the the character that's also in Stranger Things. 
um, the actor. The I always think it's tacky when they have kids do a lot of swearing. Um, I, I just think that's tacky. I thought it was unnecessary. It felt unnatural, and it really took away from the movie. And in Wonder Woman, the I really hope that superhero movies can graduate. And I don't even like it when Superman flies around. I don't like the floating and the CGI. Uh, the final scene, which is like a final boss scene, as Amanda pointed out in a video game, mm-hmm. um, where she like starts floating. They start picking up tanks and like CGI crazy. It was unnecessary. It I think that took away from the story, but it didn't hurt the story. It was a, a cinematic choice, not a, a storytelling choice. The story was fantastic, and those are my thoughts. Um, any final thoughts from you all on these movies? No. I'm good. I liked it. Right. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed this. We'll be back shortly to talk about St. Agnes and also um, St. Sebastian. We'll do a little bit of history on the, the saints who have influenced history. So we'll be all right. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit of history now regarding the saints. Um, We're going to talk about St. Agnes, and we're also going to talk about St. Sebastian. Um, And we're going to be reading some articles from franciscanmedia.org. And this is just a little bit of fun history. And one other very important thing that I should point out is we have actually found a place on the Internet where the comment section is not defiled nonsense. And not only have I made myself unemployable in the Church of the Nazarene today for talking about theology and it— I have also defiled somewhere on the internet, which you can probably deduce where it's at, but I'm not going to say where it is um, because I don't want to lead anybody else to go there and corrupt their comment section. But there is a place in the world where the comment section is nothing but beautiful prayers, and I've asked a question there, <laughs> and I feel so guilty about it. We were looking at some artwork, and we couldn't actually read the letters on something. It was in Latin. We wanted to figure out what was there. And um, so that that has happened. We have contaminated not only things within the Church of the Nazarene today, but things <laughs> elsewhere. So it's just been a, a bad day for us on the Internet. But all the same, let's talk some history. Um, believe it or not, there are actually days of the year attributed to certain saints, not just All Saints Day, which happens in the fall, but we also have certain saints of the day. And while we're not just going to be talking about the saints for today, we're going to talk about some around the weeks because they're. I think this will be a fun thing that we can do ask the church to learn our history and also just be stimulated to have something to learn about our own culture. So let's start by talking today about St. Agnes, and I believe we have a, a little bit of artwork to pull up to to share with you on her. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Amanda to share a little bit about St. Agnes. So uh, St. Agnes's saint date is January 21st, so for this year I think that's uh, Sunday. But her story goes um, as following, almost nothing is known about her except that she was very young, probably about 12 or 13, when she was martyred in the last half of the 3rd century, so the last half of the 200s. Uh, Various modes of death have been suggested. Either she was beheaded, burned, strangled. We even heard one legend that pretty well kind of put all of those together. Um, Legend has it that Agnes was a beautiful girl who many young men wanted to marry. Among those she refused, one reported her to the authorities for being a Christian. She was arrested and confined to a house of prostitution. The legend continues that a man who looked upon her lustfully lost his sight, but it was restored by her prayer. Agnes was condemned, executed, and buried near Rome in a catacomb that eventually was named after her. Later on, the daughter of Constantine would build a basilica in her honor. 
Okay, and again, that's from franciscanmedia.com, um, or excuse me, no, .org, franciscanmedia.org. And St. Agnes is the patron saint of girls and Girl Scouts. And it's a really interesting story, and it's one that's really relevant to our culture today, because what happened to her again? She had all of this tragedy and martyrdom happen to her as a young girl. Um, she was just somebody at the age 12 or 13, so not very old in life um, when she was martyred. But essentially what happened is the culture wanted her to conform to certain things. They wanted her to get married. They wanted her to engage in more adult things. And because she was a Christian, she was convicted not to. She ends up being forced into a house of prostitution um, and ultimately becomes a martyr. We live in a day and age where when people do turn hostile to the church, they may claim that they want certain things. Uh, they want tolerance and things like that. But really what they want is, is compulsory involvement. And of course, we see the same thing. Um, happening in a few incidents that have happened here in our own culture lately. I'm not going to get into too many details of that because I know I've already made enough people upset today. But the story of St. Agnes really is one that we should appreciate. If you're if you're ever looking for, for some fun history, do spend some time with the saints, and I highly encourage you to look up St. Agnes. Again, we don't know a lot about her, but what we do know is, is as Amanda has shared with you. So let's move on now to discuss St. Sebastian. And St. Sebastian's Day is January 20th, so that hasn't quite happened yet. But Amanda, would you share the story of St. Sebastian with us? St. Sebastian, um, another one that we don't know much about historically, and that happens a lot with a lot of the early on saints because their story gets told and retold, and a lot of whatever original manuscript their story was written down probably hasn't survived to this age. But anyways, so again, we don't know much about him except that he was a Roman martyr, was venerated in Milan, even in the time of St. Ambrose, and was buried on the Apinian, Ap, sorry, Appian Way, probably near the present Basilica of St. Sebastian. Uh, devotion to him spread rapidly, and he is mentioned in several martyrologies as early as 350. The legend of St. Sebastian is important in art, and there is a lot of iconography, iconography, so basically, icons that have that depict him and his actions. Scholars now agree that a pious fable has Sebastian entering the Roman army because only there he could assist martyrs without arousing suspicion. Finally, he was found out, brought before Emperor Diocletian, and was delivered to Martian archers to be shot to death. His body was pierced with arrows, and he was left for dead. But he was found later still alive by those who came to bury him. He recovered but refused to flee. One day, he took up a position where the emperor was to pass. He accosted the emperor, denouncing him for his cruelty to Christians. And this time, the sentence to death was carried out, and Sebastian was beaten to death with clubs. He was buried on, as we said, the Appian Way, and close to the catacombs that would bear his name. All right, so there is St. Sebastian, um, and he is the patron saint of athletes. And archers, of all things bizarre. I almost feel like that's a bit of a, a insult to St. Sebastian. See how he was s attempted to be, I should say, they attempted to execute him using archery as the, the mode of execution unsuccessfully. And now he is the patron saint of archers. I feel like if, if one was on the not receiving end of, of that, you would be much more likely to, to be the patron saint of archers. But all the same, um, that is St. Sebastian for you. Again, these are very interesting characters from history. They're important to the iconography that we have in our world and to art. And we just wanted to share a few saints with you. And we'll be back here in a few moments.
All right, so for our final section, we're going to kind of close with a devotional thought. Um, at Trinity, where um, I'm on staff, we're kind of following the lectionary, and so one of the texts for this Sunday um, is kind of inspiring this thought. And as I was preparing for this, the question comes to mind, kind of a question for you guys to keep in mind as we discuss, is does God change? Can God's will, his plan, um, can that change? Uh, it reminds me of a story, that question reminds me of a story I read once in a missionary book where a missionary was talking about her call, um, why she was where she was, why she was doing what she was doing. And it started off with the statement that she felt like she was God's second choice, that someone else must have said no to God for her then to be called to be a missionary. And I can't really remember her name or any other details of the story, and I couldn't find the story again in preparing for this, but I think there was a in really interesting thought that she was leading off with is, um, you know, does God have a plan B? Uh, can we say that and still be orthodox? A big part of our faith, really a big part of who God is, is that God is unchangeable, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is a part that, that helps comforts us. It gives us rest because we know that God is always faithful, that he gives unfailing love. And so we think then that the question to the answer posed to us is pretty simple. But then we read this text in Jonah, and it kind of inspires maybe a more difficult answer. We find our story, we're not going to read um, the whole text or story of Jonah, and I encourage you to do that. It's only four chapters. It's a real short book. But just looking at Jonah chapter 3, starting with the first verse, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up, and he sent out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Jump down to verse 10, and it says, When God saw what they had done, how they had turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So our text um, very fascinating. God changed God's mind. Now, maybe this may not seem like a big to deal to you. Maybe you've not thought about it, or you have, and you've kind of come to your conclusion. And especially when we hear the story, God's changing his mind to, towards mercy. So that, that seems like a really positive. But this is something that actually the church has struggled with, this idea of if God can change. Um, the church has struggled with this pretty much since the beginning of its inception. How do we rightfully talk about God, orthodoxy? How does this inform our practices, our liturgies? For many others, in many other religions, gods were these all-powerful, unmoved movers. And yet the story of the God of the Hebrews, the story of the God of Christians, stands in uh, utter contrast of this. Because we see a God who moves and journeys with his people. Uh, he doesn't stay on a mountaintop. Instead, he, he actually has moved with the people in an Ark of the Covenant. He journeys with the people. He doesn't stay in Egypt or in the wilderness, in the desert, or on Mount Sinai, but instead travels with them. Even his resting place in the temple in Jerusalem, even when that is destroyed, this God still moves with his people. Later on, we hear the story of God being made flesh, putting on flesh and walking again amongst God's creation. This God makes himself so vulnerable that he even allows creation to kill him. 
So what does this have to do with our question, does God change? Now, we can say with utter surety that God's character does not change. God's love, mercy, peace, strength, um, all that is constant. His faithfulness is always faithful. We can say it seems obvious, but it's something we have to be reminded of. And yet, God allows God's self to be affected by humanity. God cries and mourns with us when we go through difficult time. God rejoices and is happy with us when we have good times. He forgives when we are repentant. He provides strength when we are tired and struggling. Our God is involved in the world, acting and reacting. He is shaping and molding. God wants to be in a relationship with each and every person, wanting to journey with them. There's no grand script, no great story already written out that just needs to be played out by, by mindless characters. It is an adventure that needs to be taken. Again, God's ultimate will, his ultimate character won't change, but God allows for us to make a choice, and our choices will affect not only ourselves, but other people, and then ultimately it will affect God. And like I said, it's an adventure to be taken for us called to participate in what God is doing in the world. God will always be faithful to redeem. God will always be faithful to transform, but we have a part to play in that. And for some of us, that may be encouraging. For us, some of us, that may be daunting. Because we can't just sit back and participate mindlessly, but we get to actually have a choice and to participate. So I hope this little short devotional thought will get you thinking and hopefully will call you into that relationship with God that you will participate fully and completely with God and God's redemptive and loving acts in the world. All right. Well, um, that was a really good devotional. Um, I, I really like that. The story of Jonah is really fascinating. Um, it does a, a lot of really, really cool stuff. Um, it's so unexpected than what one, one would oftentimes expect from the Old Testament stories. And even Jonah finds himself the unexpected calling to leave basically what is Israel to go to a land that is not Israel, to take the kingdom of God elsewhere. It's a fantastic story. Well, if you enjoyed our program, um, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can help us out a lot by simply subscribing to our, our YouTube channel. That will help us out tremendously. Um, also, if you would like to leave comments, if you would like to talk with any of us about anything, you, please feel free to, to send us things in the comment section, um, and we will get back to you to the best of our ability. Again, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, a lot of different places, also on Tumblr and, and Twitter. Um, and on that, have a blessed day.